Hey guys, if you would like to get to know each one of us better, go check out Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com. Or the app. Get the app. That's better. Okay. Listed in the show notes on the support link. Sights on home. I can get distracted. Cause the fact is, this ain't where I I'm kind of wondering if there's a significance to the number four. Uh, it's Podden Me. I'm your host, Devin Birdsong. And four is the studio we're in, Studio Four today. And four is also the number of times that our guest today has been on this program. Is that correct? That's correct. This is the fourth time in Studio Four. Yeah. Is there some biblical significance to that? Or? I don't know. I'm certain if we used various methods of interpretation, we could come up with some possible explanation <laughs> or some biblical verse. To well, that's why I got this. you here. We've got Dr. Timothy Hudson in the house today, and we're so glad to have you. I'm glad to be back. I am really enjoying this. It's um, it's fun. It really is. Yeah. yeah, it is. And when you're as good as I am, you can record like half half of an episode and not even push the record button. And it's just two friends talking in room. Exactly. Just like it was a few moments ago. <laughs> I marvel at your genius. I really the ministry of low expectations came back upon me and I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. We had recorded uh, about half of a wonderful episode. Oh yes. I think one of the most brilliant monologues <laughs> I'd ever given and you had to uh, forget to, Push the record button. Yes, yes, yes. It's on now, though, and it's shining bright, and we're going to let Herschel hear it. All right. Hi, Herschel. Yeah. Good to talk with you again. (laughs) That seems to be the response we get often. Often. Just just dead air on the other side. (laughs) Let's dive into the topic that we were talking about a while ago. This episode, I'd like to look at for a few moments what, in some ways, is not really relevant to the church as much as it is possibly young people who are going to a secular university or even people that are, as far as the church, yes, in the sense that it's possible that in the workplace and then outside of the church, this would be relevant. And it has to do with this concept of an age-old question, does God exist? Right. Probably most people in America today would would say, yes, we believe in God. Uh, The question, of course, is what kind of a God do they believe in? Right. Sadly, it's not really the God of the Bible. And if you question them at length, you'll you'll understand that more and more. 
but I think that uh, this this topic, even though it is not a new topic, I think it is relevant for today because we're hearing it more and more. Several years ago in Washington, D.C., they had the coming out for the atheists and agnostics. And uh, for so long, they claimed that uh, we've kind of been backed in a corner, afraid to express our, our views. Uh, but they came out and had a march in Washington. It wasn't a large crowd. But one of the things that was said that really, really troubled and concerned me was the fact that it was said at that uh, gathering that within 20 years, religion would be totally irrelevant in America. Wow. This has been several years ago. So uh, from the perspective of of, of uh, this episode, we're going to look at, does God exist? And again, this is an age-old question. It goes back to the days of the early Greeks. You had men like uh, Democritus and Leucippus, who were Greek philosophers, who said, no, there is no God. There is no transcendence. The, the reality of the world is all that there is. And then there were others like uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle said, no, 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 no. Reality is not all that exists. There's transcendence. There's something beyond the uni- the universe. There's right. something outside of it. And uh, so that kind of comes barreling down through history. And uh, even to this, to this day, it's still a, a debated topic. Uh, in universities, however, sadly, there's probably more on the agnostic atheist side than there are that believe in God. But really, you might be surprised, though, at the number of even Nobel prize winners in, for example, science that are believers in God, and not only God, but the Christian God. I find it very interesting, too, that for so long, the scientific community lampooned and made fun of the evangelical church and Christians and those who believed in a biblical worldview, and uh, even in Genesis, in terms of God creating the the universe versus evolution. Right. They somehow felt superior because they were scientists. The problem now is science is now pointing in the direction of a creator who is consistent with the God of the Bible. And I feel that uh, many uh, on that side of the fence are somewhat in a panic mode now because their atheism is now really being challenged by the evidence. So just very briefly, there are several arguments that uh, are in favor of God's existence. And when I say argument, I'm not speaking of a husband and wife uh, right. spat. I'm talking about evidence. Uh, one of the most significant in recent years is known as the cosmological proof for God's existence. This comes from the Greek word cosmos, which basically means universe. So this is this is the argument from the universe, the universe, and in particular beginnings of the universe. Okay. Now, during uh, the 1800s, especially after the introduction of Darwinian evolution, because of the fact that evolution was going to take so long to get from the one cell to life as we know it today, was a lot of time required. And uh, so many believed in what was known as the steady state theory, and that is that the universe is eternal, that it had no beginning. Now, the reason that they argued for that is because of one of the fundamental principles of science, and that is the law of causality or the law of cause and effect, simply stated Anything that has a beginning must have a cause. 
Sir Francis Bacon, who was the uh, one of the fathers of modern science, said science is a search for causes. Again, the law of causality, cause and effect. Anything that has a beginning must have a cause. Well, if the universe had a beginning, then it had to have a cause. Right. But if it was eternal and had no beginning then it didn't it have to no have cause. a cause. And so uh, for for a long time, that was that was the mantra that the universe was eternal, therefore we don't need God. Well, that began to change in the early 1900s when uh, the renowned Albert Einstein, who at that time was just an obscure physicist, he published several papers that became known as his general theory of relativity. E equals mc squared, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. I'll let you explain that a little later on to Herschel. Because yeah, that I, was all I, stuff I was very good at. In yeah, I'm, I'm no, quite sure. No, I don't think I was. Never mind. Uh, well, if you Move weren't, I, I, I won't hold it against you because <laughs> I'm not very good at that either. But what he proved was mathematically, he proved that the universe, the realm in which we live, time, space, and matter actually had a beginning. It upset Einstein because he didn't want to accept the reality or the conclusions of his argument. That is, if the universe had a beginning, then it had to have a cause. He actually went back and, and uh, tinkered with his own <laughs> mathematics to come up with a, a conclusion that the universe was eternal. And later on, a, another ap- academic who was reviewing his math said, wait a minute here, Einstein, you made a very, very, very elementary mistake. You divided by zero. You can't do that. And Einstein stepped forward and said, you're right. I did it. I know I did it. It's the biggest blunder I've ever made. I just didn't like the implications of what my conclusions would be. And he, it became known as his fudge factor. Wow. So then from there, Einstein went so far as to say that what I'm really interested in now is what were his thoughts when he created this universe? Mm. This idea of the steady state was was called into question. And one of the things that uh, Einstein's theory predicted that is if true, the universe would be in a state of expansion. It would be getting bigger. Well, in 1929 at the Mount Wilson Observatory in Pasadena, California, Dr. Edwin Hubble Mm-hmm. was looking through his telescope in the sky and noticed a red light shift. Again, don't ask me exactly to explain that, but it meant the universe was in a state of expansion. And had it been a blue light shift, and it would have meant that it was contracting. Well, Einstein actually went to Pasadena to see it. Mm. So literally what that means is if theoretically it could be done, the universe could be reversed back to a point prior to which it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Well, the significance of that is that the Bible is very clear in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Now, the significance of that word create is that in the Hebrew, it means to take nothing and make something out of it. That's exactly what the science is now showing. Subsequent science has proven the fact And uh, you would be hard-pressed now to find scientists to hold to the steady state and the fact that the universe is eternal. And in fact, they're so troubled by the implications, they're now offering uh, other possibilities for which there is no evidence. Well, there's what's known as the multiverse. Our universe is just a universe and multiple universes and, and really, but all you're doing is just kind of pushing the inevitable back. Right. It's still got to have... A beginning. And if it's got the beginning, then it has to have a cause. Well, what do we know? 
There was a point in which time, space, and matter never existed, but they came into existence simultaneously. Then what do we know? Time. Whatever created time would what? Have to be outside of time because he creates time. Does that make sense, Herschel? Yes. Okay. So he's outside of time, and something that's outside of time is what? Eternal. Eternal. Exactly. If he creates matter, matter, material, yes, the material world, then that must mean he is what? Outside of it. Immaterial. We would call that spirit. Yes. Are you following me here? I'm I'm getting close. All right. I I'm can running see that. hard. I can see that look in your eye. I think it's about to come on, and you're going to say, Eureka, I have found it. Time, matter, space. We think of space in terms of limitations. Right. Point A, point B. If he creates that realm, then he must be outside of that realm, which means he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There are no limitations to him. Do those descriptions, eternal, spirit, omnipresent, do those in any way cause you to think of something? Sure. God. The God of the Bible. Exactly. The God of the Bible. The Bible is very clear. He dwells in eternity. So this cosmological argument clearly shows if the universe had a beginning, which the science now says it does, then it had to have a cause. Now, the age-old question, okay, who created God? I love this one. That's the next one. You want to take a shot at it? No. Okay. All right. Very simple. The law of causality does not say everything has to have a cause. Only those things that have a beginning must have a cause. Wow. And if God, by his very nature, is eternal, he has no beginning. So he does not have to have a cause. So uh, there is a really very, very simple answer to the age-old question, who created God? By definition, he's eternal. Yes. And by the science, something eternal had to have created time. And uh, so uh, I think the evidence is there from that perspective that uh, the God of the Bible is consistent with the science. Now, another, uh, a second argument that is often used that I find very compelling is what's known as the teleological argument. It comes from the Greek teleos, which means the design or means design. And simply, when you look at the universe, you automatically, you look and you see design. Every design must have a designer. Mm-hmm. And this universe has been very fine-tuned to support life on Earth. This leads to what is known as the anthropic principle. There are over 100 different variables in this universe that if any one of those were different, I mean by a fraction, life would not exist on Earth. For example, the position of the Earth in terms of its distance from the sun. We're kind of in what's known as the Goldilocks area of the universe. And you remember Goldilocks and three bears, Papa Bear's bed was too hard. Mama Bear's was too soft. Baby Bear's was just right. The earth is just right in its placing in the universe. Any closer to the sun, guess what? We burn up. Any farther away, we freeze. It's in an exact position to support life as we know it. Numerous others, the oxygen levels on the earth, if they were any greater, then spontaneous fires would burn the earth up and they would just erupt spontaneously. The earth would be gone. If it was any less, you can't breathe. So there are so many. In fact, it's, it's so, so precise that 
Richard Dawkins, who is uh, probably the most well-known new atheist in the world today. Um, he was a paleontologist, uh, microbiologist at Oxford University. He wrote the book, The God Delusion, which even other atheists criticized as, a, as an absolute disaster in terms of academic credibility. But he said, he said, even though the earth and universe gives the appearance of design, we must remember that it was not designed. Now, something's wrong with that thinking here. Mm -hmm. Okay, He's got an a priori feeling or belief that the universe was not created. Okay, So his logic, he probably didn't do too well in logic, obviously, because that, that's totally flawed. But it's so evident. One of the first to suggest this was a man by the name of William Paley. He, he uh, lived several hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago, and he wrote a book entitled The Watchmaker. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you go out into the basic premise is this, if you go out in the, the countryside and you look down and find a watch, wristwatch, you automatically infer upward. You infer intelligence. Then in looking at the universe, you see absolute evidence of design. So you automatically infer upward that there is some designer who has put all of this together. Uh, and then uh, Richard Dawkins came along later on and wrote a uh, counter to that, the blind watchmaker. That really all of this appears again to be designed, but it's, but it's not. One of the most interesting discoveries in the last few decades that is really causing a headache for these evolutionists is this discovery of DNA. Mm -hmm. Because DNA is, is a highly sophisticated code of approximately 3.7 billion letters in a four-letter sequence that basically determines everything about us. Now, here again, I'm, I'm outside of my field in that. It's compared to an elaborate computer code. Every computer code has to have a programmer. Right. This was one of the things that led Anthony Flew, who I've again mentioned in a previous episode, he was the world's leading philosophical atheist for some years. He wrote in the 60s a treatise, uh, Theology and Falsification, and it just kind of shot him to a rock star status in the, in the uh, philosophical community. But he was well known as an atheist. But he at least converted to deism when he saw the evidence of DNA. Mm. He said, I have no choice but to follow the evidence where it leads. Anything that sophisticated has got to require intelligence. It cannot be developed by random chance and necessity as the evolutionists would so claim. So the teleological argument is, is as science is progressing and the more we're learning, the more designed we see, not just the universe, but our own bodies. Right. This this shows us too that who or whatever did this is extremely intelligent. Yes. Extremely powerful and purposeful. Why? Because he has designed the universe with a purpose. Follow me here. Male, female. Now I understand in our society today that's getting totally warped. Right. But you see the design, a male and a female coming together in holy matrimony to produce offspring. The environment, the ecosystem around us is designed to enable life on earth. Yes. So you see purpose. At the same time, impersonal objects cannot make choices. This microphone cannot make a choice. Right. It's an impersonal object. Personal objects have the ability to make choices. God chose to create us. 
So there is a personal aspect to who or what. Again, does this remind you of anything sure. or anybody? It reminds you of the God of the Bible who is all-powerful, who is <laughs> supremely intelligent, yes. and who has a purpose for humanity. Yes. So uh, these two are more scientific. There is a third that we will look at just very briefly, and that's uh, more philosophical. It's called the moral argument. And that is, why is it that there are certain things in every society around the world that are considered wrong? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, in the back, he has an appendix, and he is tracing historically those vices that all societies historically have believed to be wrong. Where does this come from? Don't give me the argument, well, white missionaries went and, and taught the natives. No. What about those those societies way, 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 way back? What about Hinduism? We share even some similarities with Hindu. How? How? Even the Hindus, the Hindus will not eat meat. That's why they let their cows roam. Well, we don't believe that. Well, why do they not kill and eat the meat? Because they believe the cow is their grandmother, and they yeah. know you don't kill your grandmother. All right? Follow? See yes. the premise here. Uh, so it's applied in a wrong way, but the premise is you don't kill grandma because right. life is valuable. Where does this come from? How is it that all societies have these same feelings? Every society in the history of the world, except for a few psychopaths, believe that torturing babies for fun is wrong. There's something inside of us that tells us that. Now, we know from the perspective of, of the Bible in Christianity, yes. Paul clearly says in Romans chapter 2, it's the law of God written on our hearts. Right. Now, this is not suggesting that people who aren't Christians cannot do what is right. Of course they can. It's written in their heart. Right. But the, the justification for it is that there is a God who has written his law upon our hearts. Other than that, if there is no God, everything is permissible. And there's no justification for condemning anything. Right. Because if there is no God, and if evolution is true, then it's just survival of the fittest and the strong win and the weak lose. So if I have to steal, to rape, to kill, to get ahead, it's just the way it is. But if there is a God who has written his law on our hearts, then we have and we know right from wrong. Now, we may sear our conscience. Right. We may ignore it, but inherently we know. Again, the moral argument suggests that this concept of right and wrong that all men possess is an indication that there is a divine lawgiver who has, in fact, written his law upon our hearts. Yes. And that's why all men, all men are without excuse. They right. may not know all of the things that you and I know. But God has revealed himself. It's kind of interesting. You read in um, Romans chapter 1, you get the yes. cosmological and the teleological argument. Paul clearly says God has revealed himself in nature. Yes. And then you get to chapter 2, you get the moral argument that God has written his law on our hearts. Yes. And then you continue on, and it goes right into Jesus Christ. Yes. So these are just a a few of the of the more recognized arguments for God's, not only for God's existence, but for the existence of the God of the Bible. 
And these, interestingly enough, are non-biblical arguments. These are not taken from the Bible. Right. These are scientific arguments. These are arguments from science. These are arguments from philosophy. But all of them point to the fact that not only is there a God, but that it's the God of the Bible. As you're talking here, I get the picture of the Apostle Paul going to Mars Hill. Exactly. Sitting yes. there in a free speech area. In a free speech area. On an elevated rock, is that correct? Yes. And they give, you know, the philosophers of the day sitting there listening, they let anybody who wants to get up and, get and up. Yes. pose their argument. Mm-hmm. And Paul gets up and talks to them about their own respected writers. Exactly. Your poets exactly. have been talking about my God. Yes. Matter of fact, you've got an altar to the unknown God, and he plays upon what they have on display. Exactly. And makes an awesome argument for the God he does. of the universe. And it, if you follow the history of, of Paul's arguments, there was uh, in that particular area some 500 years prior to Paul coming, there was a there was a disease or plague that was afflicting the city. Yes. And uh, there was, uh, was it, uh, I cannot remember, it's slipping my mind right now, the name of the, uh, the gentleman who came through and uh, saved the city from this plague. And he basically said to them, uh, turn the lambs loose and wherever they sit down, sacrifice them. Maybe we can entice the gods. Well, they did that and it worked. So that's why there were altars everywhere. Yes. And so Paul takes that and turns it around on them. That's what's so good. Paul takes his their own philosophies, their own ideas to prove to them that they're wrong. Yes. And uh, so it is, I think, with the uh, cosmological, the teleological, and even the moral argument. You're taking science, you're taking philosophy, turning it, showing it for what it, it says. Right. To prove that the Bible is a reliable Reliable book. And the uh, the signs are all pointing in one direction. One direction. Straight up. Straight up. <laughs> and the science now is, is really, really becoming a problem for the scientists. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's say, let's put it like that. Well, what an awesome visit today. And uh, as you were talking, it just caused God to get really big in my mind. Because he is. He is. He is so big. Yes. So big. So keep looking up. Yeah. You look up, you'll find the God who created it all. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, Once again, my pleasure. Thanks for stopping by Studio 4 for the fourth time. Maybe (laughs) next time we record, we go to Studio 5. Okay. Because there is one. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Hey, God bless you. You too. Thanks, man.